The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds, smart investing starts here. Hello and welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. We are live at the Charles Schwab Impact Conference and we are in the exhibit hall in the Discovery Data's booth. So if there's any background noise that you hear, we apologize, but it is what it is. This is your host, Doug Heikinen. The Permission to Succeed podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who found that point in their lives to throw all caution aside and just go for it. The genesis of this podcast is based on the great appreciation for the lives of Muhammad Ali and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and their world-changing impact. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by iris.xyz, the most helpful place for advisors to come and grow their minds and businesses. Power your advice at iris.xyz. And our guest this morning is a friend of ours, um, Sean Walters, who's the CEO of Investments and Wealth Institute. Good morning, Sean. Yeah, good morning, Doug. So you guys had a name change recently. Why the name change? And and tell us a little bit about the Investments and Wealth Institute before we get started talking about some other things. Sure. So we, uh, two years ago, just a little over two years ago, took the the bold step of changing our our name and branding within the industry. You know, we're a 34-years-old organization, and we were originally set up for Investment Management Consultants. That was our, our old name, Investment Management Consultants Association, which today doesn't mean as much as it did, you know, in the mid-80s in terms of what type of professional we serve and how we serve them. So uh, the, the name change was really designed to reflect more accurately who we are and who we serve, which is both investment professionals, consultants, investment advisors, and wealth management professionals and financial planners. So we serve the broad set of advisors, really with a higher-end an advanced suite of education and credentials. And it seems, it's a scary thing to change your name, but it seems to have gone pretty seamlessly. I believe so, yeah. I think it really did kind of do what we intended, which is it broadened our approach with firms, with practitioners, with the media, with government, that we're not just this investment management group. We actually have quite a bit of offerings around private wealth advice. We now have a retirement management advisor certification as well. So we really offer professional development for all three sleeves of the advisor experience, investments, wealth management, and retirement. And you're not an old guy, but you've been in the industry for a while. And the industry is going through a lot of change. Um, advisors are, are waking up, having to change. What are what are some of the things that you're seeing out there that are that are coming at advisors. Yeah, so I've, um, we'll talk a little bit more about my background, but I've been in, you're right, I've been watching this industry for about 22, 23 years, and there's as much change now as, as I've seen any, any period of time during that last 20 years. I don't know that I can predict where it's going, but I do think there are some, some big trends that are affecting the advisor community today, and I think as, um, you know, depending on what happens with the markets and the economy over the next couple of years, I think that'll a lot, exacerbate a lot of this change as well. So, um, so I think we're seeing some trends around um, what we'll call the three C's. Our board tracks these these three um, mega issues that affect the advisor community. One of which is 
really the commoditization of investment management services, right? So a lot of advisors outsource that investment management piece. A lot of advisors just rely on the model portfolios that roll down from the mountaintop at their firm, uh, or they outsource that model portfolio process to other asset management firms. So there's that kind of commoditization. You can get portfolios anywhere is the, is the concept anyway. Robo-advice is certainly part of that trend as well. That's, that's one we can talk about. The second is margin compression. So it's the fee compression that's happened really over the last three to five years has affected retirement plan world definitely. But then you look at asset management space, you look at the broker-dealer firms, and it hasn't really hit advisors, you know, in their pocketbook yet. But that's the question is how will that margin compression continue to roll through the advisor community? And then the third uh, is competition. So different business models competing with each other in the advisor space. Schwab, we're at Schwab Conference, intelligent portfolios. How did that change the competitive landscape? The subscription-based financial planning model that they offered out there. Um, Robo-advice fits into that bill as well. So competition's definitely always been a player, and it'll continue to be a player, but it's gotten a lot more heated up with technology. Well, not only that, there's more entrance into the advisor industry from other professions. CPAs are now advisors. I'm driving my little boy to flag football, and I see H&R Block advisors. Um, What happens if... Amazon decides to get into the business. So there's competition coming at them from all, all angles. That's, that's exactly it. That's, that's the mega issue. And then the fourth one is, you know, demographics. So the demographic change that's going under um, within, within our advisor community it can be played out in terms of gender diversity. So we've got a lot of, uh, you know, middle-aged white males do, delivering advice today. And those who are consuming advice are not all middle-aged white males. There's, there's women, there's diversity, um, you know, there's diversity needs within the client base that need to be addressed by the type of advisors that are out there delivering the advice. So, so I think there's a lot of change going underway with uh, demographic shifts as well. So does the Investments and Wealth Institute, are you set up to help advisors address some of these issues? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how we build our strategic plan as we look outside first, what's happening out there, and how um, how is that going to impact our ability to achieve our mission as a nonprofit organization? And then we build the strategic plan to address, to address those threats. So, for example, the commoditization of investment management. So SEMA certification is kind of, I would just, Hope is one of the more well-known investment management credentials in the space. CFA and SEMA are kind of the two credentials that most advisors choose between. CFA gives you that broad set of investment management expertise, almost like a master's in investments. And then SEMA's more focused on dealing with investment consulting, portfolio construction, developing and delivering upon an IPS, investment policy statement. So SEMA certainly has got you know, it's got that space down pretty well, but it's had to evolve so that the way forward for advisors is really more sophisticated investment management, environment, social governments, ESG investments, impact investing, you know, how we get into private equity and alternatives. So when you're serving a high net worth client and they want to diversify their risk, 
a lot of the CFP professionals out there may not feel comfortable moving them towards alternatives or private equity or some other options that actually can diversify that risk. And so they have to learn, those advisors have to learn that body of knowledge somewhere, and SEMA gives them that capability. So it's really focusing on the investment management capability for the next generation. And I don't think it's just the old school of model, model, modern portfolio theory and, um, you know, a balanced asset allocation of 60-40. It's more sophisticated than that. And that's really what we've had to evolve the SEMA to cover. And then to address, you know, this, that, that maybe advisory teams aren't as reliant on the investment management component. We've got our certified private wealth advisor certification and our retirement management advisor Certification. Those are both holistic designations designed to kind of catch this movement of advisory teams towards more holistic services. Mm -hmm. With all these things coming at advisors, are they an endangered species? No, I don't think so. I think that the advisor handles, you know, a human being. And any human-to-human type of interaction or service model that is based upon knowledge, you know, not a transaction, I think those are not endangered. I think if you're a human-to-human service or product delivery model, then you're more in danger, right? So if you're in the business of walking out to a car lot and selling somebody a car, and you're in that brokerage type of model, then you're more endangered. If you're an investment professional that's in a brokerage model and that's all you want to do, you know, you might consider your options in the future. I think you have to look more at that advisory type of approach. And we've seen this shift, Doug, you've seen it as well. For the last 20 years, this shift from brokerage to advice or brokerage to consulting. And I think our organization's been a big part of that shift. And that's kind of one of the things I'm proud of, of our, our heritage and legacy. How does an advisor engage with you to help them combat all these forces that are coming at them? I think the, like any professional that's dealing with a lot of change in their environment, um, really any organism that deals with a lot of change in their environment, you have to evolve and adapt. And I think that what we're set up to do as a professional educational partner with the advisor is to help you adapt. You know, adapt your capabilities, adapt your process, um, adapt, you know, the way that you think about the environment and what's happening around you. So the, the challenge for a lot of advisors is they, they go to their firm conference. Let's say they're a Schwab advisor, an RIA. They come to this event once a year, and they hear their custodian talk about the environment. And it's somewhat objective, but it is, they realize, I hope, that it is based on a corporate perspective. Same with the Merrill Lynch advisor. They go to their Merrill Lynch conference once a year and they listen to Merrill Lynch's perspective on the environment. I think the role of associations has always been to pull together professionals from different types of working models together in a room or in a conference or in a chapter, however the model is set up, and talk about different perspectives. That's how you adapt, is through that diversity of thought and experience. And so... One of the things I think is a challenge for the RAA community and the RAA advisor is they see themselves as independent and objective, but they pretty much double down on their role with Schwab or TD or Pershing or whomever, and they basically hunker down into that model. 
So they're building one type of armor and not many types of armor. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they, they'll talk about, for example, I'll have conversations here on the floor about, well, the wirehouse model is dead and buried, or the independent broker-dealer model is dead and buried. And, I'm, and I ask them, well, how do you know that? Like, who's the last wirehouse advisor you talked to? And who's the last independent broker-dealer? You know, you come to an Investments and Wealth Institute conference, you've got a third of the attendees from wirehouses and regional broker-dealer firms. You've got a third that are independent. You've got a third that are bank trust and asset management. So you've got like a broad cross-section of professionals. So your question is, how do we help? Some of how we help is just come to our events, hang out with other advisors that are like you, but maybe don't operate in the same business model that you do. Mm -hmm. And that's how you learn and adapt. So why did you pick financial services? Well, I don't know that I consciously chose it. It was a job. Do any of us. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've been in nonprofits my whole career, which is kind of odd. And most people don't. I think today more young people want to get into nonprofits, but they want to get into real nonprofits where it's a C3, it's mission-based, we're going to go out and cure cancer, or we're going to solve hunger or poverty or whatever. And, you know, there's a whole industry that kind of hangs out behind the curtain whether they're trade associations or professional associations for, you know, individual professionals. And I think there's, looking at the IRS last counts, there's probably 750,000 professional associations, whether it's crane operators or chain link fence manufacturers or, you know, baseball team owners or football team owners, whatever the model Whatever the industry, there's probably an association or two or three or ten behind it. And so uh, I kind of stumbled into that world right after college and um, ended up at the International Association for Financial Planning, which is one of the predecessors of the Financial Planning Association. And that was, that's a 50, that IAFP, I guess, is celebrating their 50th anniversary this year, the 50th anniversary of financial planning. So I was part of that group in the 90s moved to Denver to work with the Financial Planning Association, ended up over at uh, IMCA, and now the Investments and Wealth Institute, you know, I guess it was 07. Mm -hmm. And so um, really just have kind of kept working with this group of people because I think the, the mission of these organizations that I've worked for and the mission of the advisor community is to, you know, make the world a better place, really, to help clients and consumers, you know, move their money in the right direction so it serves some good in the world, whether that's charitable giving or just the oil of economy, right? Capitalism and economy is fueled by a, a trusted, vibrant investment industry. When that doesn't exist, then people put their money under the mattress and it's not going to those companies that can cure cancer or solve hunger or poverty and and um, and so I think that's important the investment industry serves that important purpose and uh, and it's nice to be part of that part what, of that advancement what challenges are you seeing for your company moving forward well I think there's you know we have competition as well there's you know the publishing world something you know a little bit about the publishing world is really kind of dried up in advertising and and so they're moving into events, they're moving into different forms of content delivery, um, and they're kind of competing with us in terms of events we put on, content we deliver, um, 
you know, even the membership experience is under fire. You know, if you run a straight-up membership association, you know, um, let's say the American Bar Association or American Medical Association, maybe a better example, where you don't do credentialing, really the service you offer your professionals is conferences, magazines, lobbying. You know, that's under fire because you can get content for free online all the time. Mm-hmm. The companies in our space of financial services, you know, asset management firms to be successful. They've got to develop content. They've got to deliver content for free to advisors. So I guess you could say commoditization is another threat to our business model. You know, continuing education credit is a commodity now. You can really earn CE hours anywhere. So we have to really work hard to get people to want to come to our conferences and do our online courses because they do it not just for the CE because they can get free CE elsewhere. They do it because they want to advance their capabilities and better serve their clients. So we just got to constantly stay on the edge of our game to, to make ourselves valuable to those advisors. And are you optimistic about your future? Yeah, I, I can be a bit pessimistic at times, <laughs> being a 10-year CEO. And, um, you know, every year I, around August, I start to th- think, oh, you know, the sky might be falling or the shoe might be dropping. But then we end up, you know, growing another 5 6 7%, and mm-hmm. conferences keep doing very well for us. Certifications keep growing at probably 7 to 10% a year. And then our So the sky's not falling? No. So when you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're, you're like giving yourself permission to succeed, you're actually doing it? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And, uh, and I think the last three or four years I've gotten better at just saying, yeah, we'll, we'll get through this. And, you know, looking ahead, um, I think there's this change is coming. But I do think we're well positioned to serve the advisor community through the change. You know, I, I don't know that there's anything else out there that's quite like us. You know, there's the CFP Board of Standards, which is kind of, I think, gobbling up all of the entry level advisors and certifying them, which I think is a great thing. The CFA Institute is highly global and very successful at minting CFE professionals, CFA professionals all over the world, and we're focusing on the lifelong learner in mm-hmm. the space. Mm-hmm. And that lifelong learner could be 28 years old or 68 years old, and I think they should look to us to help them sharpen their saw. So there's an opportunity for young advisors to come into this industry and really make um, a career and a difference. What advice do you have for, for those Young yeah, advisors. I was thinking about that. Didn't really talk about that with demographics. You know, the aging out of the older advisors—a big concern out there. I've been around long enough to see that the bulk of advisors are career changers. I think so. I, I'm not as worried about our uh, a shortage of advice in the future. I think that um, I think that career changers will continue to come to advice. You know, like if you're in a transactional business today. And you and it dries up. Where are you going to go? Well, let's. I'll go earn my SEMA certification and start delivering, you know, advice to clients. And and I'll do that at age 38 or 42, or it may not be at age 22, but it might be at age 32. And so I think that career changer model is a is a big opportunity for this profession, and um, and we're there to help them with building up the capabilities and competencies to do it the right way. How do people find you? I think, like most service models, it's through word of mouth, right? Mm-hmm. We spend a lot on advertising, sponsorship, like a, a lot of B2B um, 
companies, but I do think word of mouth is the key. And, and you know, we're having to spend a lot more on social media to try to generate a lot of that word of mouth because it's no longer via the mouth anymore. It's via keyboard and uh, LinkedIn or Twitter, um, yes. but the if, word of mouth. If they want to find your website and oh, learn yeah. more. Yeah, it's, in, it's investmentsandwealth.org is our website. And, um, and then we've got kind of all of our product lines lined up there. That's great. So, Sean, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure. You bet, Doug. We'd also like to thank our friends here at Discovery Data for hosting us, the people at Charles Schwab and the Impact Conference, and the Permission to Succeed podcast team. This is Doug Heikinen. Thank you very much. Take care. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds. Smart investing starts here. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds. Smart investing starts here.